Hello everybody out there. I hope you are ready because we got another episode of the Talk That Talk show here with Barry Holmes. Um, If you didn't get a chance to check out our other episode, last week we had a great, great talk with Edison Councilman Sam Joshi. Um, Definitely check out our YouTube page because we'll be posting the full-length videos now to our YouTube channel, the Talk That Talk Show. We also got a Facebook page that you can also check in with certain updates that we have and clips and full-length episodes. So I'm just really excited because we're continuing to try and put this show out there so that more people can listen in and tune in each and every week. Want to give a special shout out to the people tuned in into our Facebook live stream. My boy Chris Shank. Shout out to Marcus Hart, Mary Beth Heaney. I see you out there in Cali. Shout out to my boy Randy G, Joey Bishop, Kyle Irons, Ethan Bayer. We got a lot of people here on the Facebook live stream today. Shout out to David Hoffman Jr. We're going to be answering your question later. My boy John Cortez. I just joined this bowling team on Sundays. Thank you so much for that, man. Um, and I also want to update everybody about how I've been bowling as well, too. I want to give a big shout out to my boy Jason Pintus over at Woodbridge Bowling Center. And after the Sunday morning league, I think maybe it was last week, he uh, took some time out to help me work on my game. And, you know, I was using my all road uh, from storm shout to storm. But um, the th- really great thing that I appreciated about that was was that someone realized and noticed that, you know, I've really been trying to put in the work to become a better bowler. And here's somebody that, you know, you never know who's watching, who really took the time out to just, you know, work on my hand placement and my game. And I was able to transition that this week to roll some really high sets, man. I mean, I had a couple 240 games. So, you know, it was really awesome. And, you know, it really kind of re- reinvigorated my, my love for bowling and just how much it's going to take to work hard to get better. So, you know, in that same realm here with, um, you know, podcasting, you know, we're constantly expanding and constantly trying to find different ways to engage the audience and to give you more of what you want to hear. So, if you're a friend of mine and if you're always tuned into the show, send me a message. Tell me what you want to hear about on the show. If you want to come on a guest, I've had a whole bunch of different people come on this show. This is more than just a sports show. This is a platform for all my friends to tell your story. So I want to thank everybody that's always loyally tuned in, watching on Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, you name it, we're streaming everywhere. So, you know, I'm going to just jump right into this show. We're at episode, what is this, 36, 37 now? Woo! So I really want to get into and really talk about this NFL playoff picture that's starting to shape and unfold for us here, you know, in the in the season. And when I look at the, you know, the AFC picture here, you know, for all of our viewers out there that maybe not know what the standings are like, you know, with a huge win last week, I mean, well, last night for Baltimore over the San Francisco 49ers, I think for a lot of people, this validated what people think about the Baltimore Ravens. I mean, you know, right now they're sitting as the, the best team really in the NFL because since the, you know, the Patriots lost and, you know, now that Baltimore took that number one spot in the AFC, you know, now they're, they're kind of solidifying for all those people, those doubters out there that say, hey, Lamar Jackson maybe isn't the greatest quarterback. Oh, I know he's a great runner, but you can't, you know, lie about what the records show. And what the records have shown is that Baltimore has gained more and more momentum and more speed each and every week. 
They're the top offense. You know, you know what my team is back there. I'm a huge Chiefs fan. But not even the Chiefs can compete with the offense that, you know, Baltimore is putting out there. And then you look at number two and you see New England. And am I a little bit worried about New England? I have to say, um, when you lose to, you know, the Texans and then you lose, you know, just a week prior as well. You know, a lot of people are going to doubt Tom Brady. I know a lot of people are saying that he's washed up. It's so crazy that how all Tom Brady has to do is lose two games and now all of a sudden he's just washed up. It's crazy. New England is still 10-2, and two, and for all you bandwagon hoppers out there, I don't think it's time to hop off the bandwagon just yet for the Patriots, all right? They're still well-coached with Bill Belichick. They still have Tom Brady, who's one of the most cerebral players in the game. So, you know, I, I don't want to write off the Patriots just yet. Somebody whose stock definitely rose at the number three spot in the AFC is Houston. I mean, they're sitting at an 8-4 and four record, and now you have a team that has beaten the New England Patriots. They have Deshaun Watson, who a lot of people are forgetting about. Everybody's all up in arms about Lamar Jackson. But, hey, they still got Deshaun Watson. And he's a little bit more of a traditional quarterback pocket passer. And I feel like that's going to be a little bit more sustainable or lead to more success going into the playoff rounds. And then finally, for our fourth seed of the top divisional players, we have our Chiefs back in the background here at the number four seed. I mean, you look at last year where everything was going right, but we're starting to see some of the things that are happening with the Chiefs as far as why they're faltering a little bit. We got a big win over Oakland just this past week, which kind of gave us a little bit of distance because if we lose that game, now you're talking about a 7-4 and four record and, you know, the 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 Raiders would have been 7-5 and five, and now we're going to compete for a, a playoff spot, so... You know, I think it was huge for Kansas City to assert themselves in that AFC West division. Um, but I tell you what, when we go into the wild card teams for the AFC, I see Buffalo at nine and three as a team nobody wants to play. I promise you that Houston is not licking their chops or the Kansas City Chiefs are not licking their chops to play against Buffalo. Shout out to my boy Randy G because I know he's a big Buffalo Bills fan. But I, I really want to take it back to... Thanksgiving, where Josh Allen on, was it, like a third or fourth and one? It was a fourth down. My man picked up the ball from the pile, all right? If you remember Cam Newton, when he had that same opportunity in the Super Bowl, he let the Broncos get that ball. My man Josh Allen reached into the pocket, picked it up, and then muscled over Xavier Woods to get that first down. I think that symbolized what the Buffalo Bills are all about, and they're just a tough team. And I know the Pittsburgh's sitting in that sixth and last wild card spot at seven and five, but I, I mean, at, at some point the magic is going to run out. Okay, you cannot rock with your what fourth, fifth string quarter. I don't even know who's at quarterback for the Steelers, but yet they're still seven and five. But I just feel like that can only take you so far here in the NFL, especially when we get to playoff time. Now, when we talk about the NFC playoff picture. Everybody was I'm still I still believe in the San Francisco 49ers, all right? The 49ers are still okay. They're at 10 and 2. They're still the first in the NFC and it's still going to be competitive for them, all right? Jimmy Garoppolo is healthy. That's the biggest thing for them. Um when you look at how they fell off last year it's because they had to start what's his name? CJ Beathard because my man um, Jimmy Garoppolo got hurt against the Chiefs. So as long as Jimmy G is healthy, San Francisco will still be in a position to go far into the playoffs. Then at the number two spot, you got New Orleans. 
I personally, in my heart of hearts, I believe that the Saints are the biggest, biggest challenge to the Baltimore Ravens. When you look at what they have defensively, defensively, the Saints have speed. I mean, you talk about Marshawn Lattimore. I know Eli Apple is questionable in coverage, but the man can tackle. He's got enough practice, right? So I feel like, you know, as far and then having Demario Davis out there, you know, at linebacker, I think that they have the speed and athleticism to potentially contain Lamar Jackson and to prevent him from being the effective runner that he's been all season long. That's how I know I'm giving them high uh, standards here, but I do believe in the Saints. When you look at the Green Bay Packers at the three slot, I think this is a team that, you know, people are sleeping on. It's crazy to think that they're sleeping on them. But, you know, in the past couple of weeks, Aaron Rodgers hasn't exactly been Aaron Rodgers, right? And we've seen that the Packers have struggled. But luckily for them, they got to whoop up on the Giants. And now they're back in full swing at things. And, you know, I think that Aaron Rodgers will always take Green Bay as far as he can. And now that you've added a run game with Aaron Jones... I think that Green Bay is somebody that can knock off somebody in the playoffs, but I just don't see them as Super Bowl contenders. And then I'm going to take it to the four slot in Dallas. I think this is going to be a four slot that Dallas is not going to keep for a long time. I think that when you have this matchup with the Philadelphia Eagles coming up, they could potentially take Dallas's spot. And, I mean, how can you take the Dallas Cowboys when they haven't beat an over 500 team this year? Come on, man. I mean, Jerry Jones is out here in tears talking about how much he loves Jason Garrett, but Jason Garrett can't get you past the first round of the playoffs. He's got one playoff win. So, you know, I think that the dysfunction is transitioning from not only up top, but down to the field. You can't tell me that with Dak Prescott, Amari Cooper, um, Ezekiel Elliott, and wasn't Leighton Van Der Esch on the defensive side of the ball, Sean Lee, who's healthy? You mean to tell me that's a, a fourth seed in the NFC, right? So, I, I mean, I just can't believe in the Cowboys. So I think the Philadelphia Eagles are going to take that four spot soon. And then at the five slot in our wild cards positions, you have Seattle at 9-2 and two and Minnesota at 8-3, and three, which is actually our Monday night football game. So lucky for you all, we're going to get a chance to see firsthand what these wild card teams really have in store, right? And just me off rip, I'm gonna take Seattle here. I mean, you got you can't. How do you go against Russell Wilson when the man is potentially uh, vying for a, a MVP spot, right? So I think this is gonna be a big test tonight as far as seeing who can really take out New Orleans or San Francisco. This game tonight is gonna be a big test of that. And then, I mean, on the outside looking in, you do have the Tennessee Titans in the AFC West, I mean, in the AFC South, and then you have the Rams that are coming in. But if you hear what I said earlier episodes, the NFC is really, really good and it's stacked outside the NFC East. So if you look at the Rams that are 7-5 and five looking in, I mean, they might have a really hard time coming and sneaking into the playoffs or might even have to come in as a wild card depending on what Seattle does. I don't really see the 49ers falling off here, but what I do see is that there might be a slight opening for the Rams if Seattle is losing today. So I don't think that it's going to happen, but listen to the NFL. If the Jets can beat the Cowboys, anything is possible, all right? And then this leads me to a great question that somebody asked me. I was actually playing Call of Duty uh, Modern Warfare. You might have seen my clips on Facebook or Instagram. But somebody asked me a really good question, and I think they asked it to me knowing that I was a Chiefs fan. 
But I'm going to extend this out to everybody here as well. Somebody asked me, they said, who would you rather start your franchise around? Pat Mahomes or Lamar Jackson? And I think this is a fair question because these are two very dynamic quarterbacks and also suit two completely different styles of quarterback positioning, right? And if you look at Lamar Jackson, this guy is a dynamic runner, all right? Let, let's just let's just put it out there. He's broken countless people's ankles, right? And some people are saying that he's better than Vic. I mean, can I can I say that Lamar Jackson in just two years is better than Michael Vick? I don't know. I think we need to pump the brakes on that. I feel like a lot of Baltimore people, you know, are, are starting to drink the juice of Mark Ingram and saying this guy's an MVP. Oh, he's the best. Okay. He's having a really great season. He threw for over 2,500 yards already for 25 touchdowns and five interceptions. Now, if you remember what I said last year, I said that all Baltimore had to do was give him the reins. All right, what can this guy do if he throws the football? Or they allow him to throw the football. And what he's shown is that he is a very he has also, you know, kind of similar skills to Pat Mahomes where he has different different delivery angles. I know a lot of people have seen him throw the sidearm throw. Um, he's throwing off the wrong foot. And I think that that's what makes Lamar Jackson good as well, too. But the thing that I think a lot of people have to question here as far as if we're going to build a franchise, how sustainable is Lamar Jackson's game, right? I know he's having really great effectiveness. I mean, he's rushed for over 1,500 yards in his first two years, right? This season, he has almost 1,000 yards rushing with seven touchdowns. So the, 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 the cat is, is out of the bag. The guy can run the football. He's broken ankles. I don't know if you saw the last one that he had on the 49ers, but that was... I hate, dare I say the word putrid, but I mean, Lamar Jackson is, he's a video game in real life, man. And I mean, when you have to look at it, I just wonder how sustainable is that game going to translate not only here, but also in the playoffs. Remember, Lamar Jackson did play in the playoffs last year, but do we remember what happened? He lost in the wild card round to Phillip Rivers in the San Diego Chargers. Phillip Rivers could barely walk out there. He could barely throw the ball, you know, past 20 yards without it being a duck. And they lost to him. Now, I'm going to tell you what happened. Lamar Jackson got sacked seven times that game. Seven times. When the Chiefs beat Lamar Jackson and the Ravens earlier on in the year, they got a lot of pressure on Lamar Jackson. And that's what I'm trying to say. Lamar Jackson is a great quarterback. He's very dynamic. But... Kind of the things that we've seen as far as issues, if we're going to nitpick and why I think that he may be not as great as Patrick Mahomes is the fact that we've seen laziness from Lamar Jackson. I can't tell, and the true Raven fans will agree with me on this one. How many times have you seen Lamar Jackson throw the ball and it goes off of his offensive lineman's helmet, right? These are the things that we see from laziness from Lamar Jackson, right? And I think that with athleticism, a lot of times we then sacrifice, um, how can I say, technique or how you actually throw the football. And that's where I think uh, my boy Patrick Mahomes has the edge here. When Lamar Jackson scrambles away from pressure, he is scrambling to become a vicious runner. That is without question. Lamar Jackson, when he escapes the pocket, he is looking to how he can get 15 or 20 yards and run it in your face, right? Now, when you look at Patrick Mahomes, what he's doing is he is evading pressure and running out of the pocket 
to create plays downfield. If you look at him, he's constantly looking downfield to try and hit those open receivers downfield. And even in a, a year, right, where Patrick Mahomes had the dislocated knee, he still has close to 3,000 yards, 20 touchdowns, which is only five less than Lamar. Remember, Lamar played every game, and Mahomes only has two interceptions. And last year, the guy had a record 50 touchdowns, right? So I, I, I know Savion Gator thinks that Lamar Jackson, you know, it's a different year. They had a different system. But a lot of the same guys are there on that offensive side of the ball. I mean, the only difference really is having Mark Ingram, which definitely made it better for Lamar Jackson. But I truly think that when you think about Patrick Mahomes and just how dynamic of a passer, of a passer that Patrick Mahomes has, we see a little bit less of the lazy throws. I mean, he's even coined his own no-look throw, right? And when you look at the way that Patrick Mahomes is able to make plays down the field and put them in those tight windows, you know, I've seen that from Lamar Jackson, but I've seen it more from Patrick Mahomes. And Patrick Mahomes does have a playoff win, right? We can't use the inexperience as an excuse for Lamar. Lamar Jackson had an opportunity in the playoffs last year, and he lost. You take, a, you take Patrick Mahomes, on the other hand, when he had his first licks in the playoffs, my man took him to the AFC Championship. Let's not get this twisted. My man, Lamar Jackson, is he going to be an MVP? Probably. He's probably the best right now. But if you're talking to me as far as who I want to start my franchise around, I think that I'm going to start around my man Patrick Mahomes, man. I mean, he's had more success. He's shown me more dynamic things other than running the football. And, I mean, Lamar Jackson, let's just see how long that this style of play lasts. I mean, you look at My Michael Vick, and Michael Vick had the success and had a parallel path to Lamar Jackson. But what did Michael Vick do in the playoffs? Did they go to the championship, Right. These are all questions. I mean, you we can sit here and say it till we're blue in the face. We only know until the cards are shown, until the games are played. But if you want me to start a franchise, I am going to go with P Patrick Mahomes. He's still even, I mean, one of the things also we've seen is that has Lamar Jackson been hurt? Luckily for the Ravens, he hasn't. But Patrick Mahomes has played hurt consistently, and he still had success while playing hurt. I really want to see what Lamar Jackson does under that adversity. And I feel like during the season, everything has kind of went right for him past that Chiefs loss. So I really want to see what Lamar Jackson does when things are not exactly going his way, right? And, and Savion asks a great question here. He says, who would you rather have, Michael Vick or Brett Favre? And, oh, man, just, just to answer that question, Whew, that's a tough question. Who would I rather have, Michael Vick or Brett Favre? Um, when you talk about di uh, dynamic play, you know, it's it's hard not to go with Michael Vick, man. But, you know, I think that stats are something that we can't negate. I think there's something that we can't overlook. And the fact of the matter is, is that Brett Favre has won two Super Bowls, okay? And that is not without chance. So if I have to say, and if I have to take somebody say, I'm definitely going to go with Brett Favre, even though I really like Michael Vick. I think in this day and age, Michael Vick would even be more suited for the NFL with as far as all the read option plays and all the different things they have in place for running quarterbacks. But 
You know, I think that Brett Favre, and, and this still being a, a passing league, I still have to give Brett Favre a little bit of that edge. I, I have to say I like the gunslinger mentality that he has for sure. And, you know, that was a great question to say. And thank you so much for that. And, and to all of our Facebook Live viewers out there, if you have a question, don't be afraid to post it, all right? I'll, I'll probably answer it for you, all right? And speaking of that, I have to get into a question that was asked to me by my boy David Hoffman, right? Big guy, uh, big college football guy. He's from Edison, one of my good friends. We live on the same street or used to before he moved. But he actually asked me, you know, a little bit about the NCAA playoff at, uh, landscape and specifically about LSU as far as what they need to be to be number one, right? So let's just look at the, the top four teams or what the potential playoff aspect would be for the NCAA. And at number one, you have LSU, who has the potential MVP or uh, Heisman Trophy winner in Joe Burrow. You know, LSU's taking out Alabama. You know, they've taken out all the great teams in the SEC, and it's hard to go against them, right? I know it's going to be a big game for them against Georgia, and this is what David asked me. He says, do they have to beat Georgia to solidify their spot in the playoffs? And I think it's a yes. I think this is yes. I think that this LSU versus Georgia SEC championship game is actually a play-in game for the playoffs because with the way that the committee has worked here, I feel like they do not reward losing very well unless you're the Alabama Crimson Tide. And Alabama had two bad losses this year, which is going to be one of the first times in, that I can remember that we don't have Alabama in the playoffs. But what I'll say is this, right? Who do we have underneath? And I think at Ohio State at the number two slot, either way, whatever happens between LSU and Georgia, I think that they are going to solidify their spot up at the top because I think Ohio State with Justin Fields and him being the Heisman Trophy potential candidate winner, I really like Ohio State. And if you look at what they've been able to do, you know, they went into Michigan last week. I don't think a lot of people believed that Michigan was going to win, but I think that Ohio State made a statement by blowing the doors off them in the big house. And it just really shows just how really good this team can be. I don't think that they're phased as far as going on the road. I don't think that they're phased as far as who they have under center or what they're doing downfield. You know, Ohio State has proven that they are a tough team. And then when you look at Clemson at the number three slot, a lot of people have been down them all year long, but all they do is keep winning, right? All they do is, I mean, when's the last time they've lost a game, right? And I know it's a little bit difficult in the ACC where you don't have necessarily as high talent as they have. Um, you have Virginia Tech who gave Virginia a real tough game last, uh, was it last week? Shout out to Virginia. I, I know I'm a big Hokies fan, but they got their first win in 15 years. Every dog has to have his day. So for all you Cavalier fans out there, you got one, all right? You knocked my Hokies out. I really wanted to see the Hokies play in the ACC championship. But now I think it's a little bit easier for Clemson to go to the playoffs because I don't see Virginia as really a person that, I mean, a team that can beat Clemson, all right? Just with Travis Etienne and just the way that they have the speed on both sides of the ball, I mean, it's tough to beat. But what we really have to look here is, is that, you know, with Georgia losing to South Carolina in overtime earlier on in the season, you know, I just really see this as someone that, that couldn't stop the run, right? South Carolina ran all over Georgia, and that's why I feel like it, it spells a recipe for disaster for them. Because if you look at what LSU has been able to do, 
LSU has been running the ball effectively, especially on those play actions, because now when you're running the ball and now you add a play action there for Joe Burrow, I mean, that is what's made LSU such an effective passer, right? He's been such an effective passer. I mean, the guy has, what, over 30 touchdowns this year? I mean, LSU is a, a, a solid pick, right? And now when we look as far as what will happen if they do lose to Georgia, which I don't think is going to happen, but if Georgia does wind up winning this game, which I don't think it will, now we have to look as far as to see who can slide up. And I think that this is why it's a playing game because if you look at the bottom here at 5, 6, and 7, there's still so many quality teams that are able to win. And you look at Utah, and I think that at Utah at the 5 slot, they have a potential chance to move up into the playoff picture. But not a lot of people are going to respect them because in their only chance of playing a ranked opponent, they lost to USC, right? So... This is someone that I don't see the committee as potentially jumping into the playoff picture if Georgia lost or loses because they still got to get past Oregon. I don't know that Utah is going to beat Oregon because with Oregon getting knocked out and their playoff chances are done because they got two losses, this is their playoff game. They could want nothing better than to knock out Utah the playoff picture. So I think Utah has a tough chance trying to jump to get into the playoff picture, but I look at Oklahoma at the number six seed, and I see them as definitely a team that could jump into that top four slot if Georgia or LSU loses, right? If Georgia loses, I could definitely see Oklahoma sliding into that spot because the committee definitely is loving of Jalen Hurts and what that story could be and bringing him back from being an exile from Alabama to now leading Oklahoma into the playoff picture. I mean, Oklahoma hasn't really done much when they've been in the playoffs. And I think that that could be a nice storyline to see and some, a storyline that the committee could choose for if Oklahoma can beat Baylor and Baylor won. I mean, Baylor lost to Oklahoma just two weeks ago. So Oklahoma has the blueprint to beat Baylor. And when we take and unpackage everything of this, right. And I, I know Florida's number seven at the bottom, but Florida's already lost to Georgia and LSU, so I don't really think much of them. They got no shot at making the playoffs. But we really, David, have to look at these next two teams in Utah and Oklahoma, and what they do is going to determine what happens in this playoff landscape, right? I think Notre Dame has also lost too many games, and they're not going to jump anybody. But that LSU-Georgia SEC championship is going to be a playoff game, and it's going to be a play-in game. And to answer your question... I do believe LSU needs to beat Georgia to secure a playoff spot. If they lose to Georgia, and like I said, a team in Georgia that lost to South Carolina, a team in South Carolina that got their doors blown off by Clemson, who's in the playoff picture, I really can't see the committee allowing LSU to get into the playoffs if they lose to a team in Georgia that has shown that they have underperformed in the spotlight. So thank you for that question, David, because you know I love my college football, and, you know, that was, a, that was a great question. We also want to shout out some more people on our Facebook live stream. Shout out to Brian Blood. Shout out to Jennifer Newman. I know I haven't seen you in a long time, too. Happy to you. Um, shout out to my boy, um, Tony Ward, also on our stream. And I think that he also has one more good question before I head into the next segment. But he says, is the Nick Saban era over in Alabama? And if you look at the money, I don't think it's over because, you know, they've 
paid this guy so many millions of dollars to do what he does in Alabama. And I think it would be really harsh for them to get rid of a guy who's taking you to countless, you know, national championships and, you know, constantly makes this team a contender in the playoff picture. And I think it would be a huge overreaction if we say that the Nick Saban era is over in Alabama because, I mean, think about it. That team lost, but they still did not have Tua, right? They did not have Tua, which was, you know, their guy for most of the year. So do I give Alabama the pass? No, because we put them on such a big pedestal to begin with. But I still think we have to hold them accountable and say that they didn't do what they were supposed to. And a lot of people were looking for that Clemson and Alabama rematch yet again, but they weren't able to deliver. But to say that that's Nick Saban's fault, let's cut the noise on that. And then real quick, we want to get into this betting thing. Um, I know my boy Jeff is a huge better as far as parlays and, you know, different sports books and seeing the different lines that are out there. But here we have somebody that caught, got caught betting that shouldn't have been betting. And here we have Josh Shaw who got caught. He put down a three-team parlay at Caesars Sportsbook in Vegas. You know, he, he, he's, and this is the first time. A lot of people don't understand. This is not the first time that Josh Shaw has bet on NFL games. And I feel like a lot of people don't know about the actual rules as far as what it means to bet. And this guy, Josh Shaw, is not somebody that had any determination on what the game or the outcome was going to happen. He's been on injury reserve. He's had a shoulder injury. And, you know, he, he <laughs> to tell you how ridiculously dumb this guy is, you have to have an application to put, you know, to put in to get into Caesar's Sportsbook to have an account. And this guy on his application put that he is a professional football player. I mean, this guy had no type of discretion or <laughs> security or whatever trying to hide it. He went into that saying, I am a professional football player. I want to put money on professional football games. And, and it kind of leads me to believe that he's a little misinformed because who in their right mind would incriminate themselves so so deeply, right? So I, ha I, I have to wonder as far as was Josh Shaw completely aware of these betting rules? Um, this is the first ruling to actually suspend the guy through the 2020 season since sports betting has made been made legal, right? So this is almost a groundbreaking type thing, but it's something that we've seen before, right? We remember about Tim Donahue as far as in the NBA and how he threw in fixes for the NBA games. We remember about Pete Rose, who I love to death. I love Pete Rose. But the difference between him, Pete Rose, and this guy, Josh Shaw, is that Josh Shaw bet against his team in the second half line, right? This guy's ridiculous. How do you bet against your own team? At least Pete Rose never bet against his own team. He always bet that they would win or on a different team. So, I mean... Sports betting is something that's always going to happen. Do I think that Josh Shaw is the only person that's doing this? I don't think so. I think that a lot of players are doing it. But they're doing it through other people. They're sending people to put those bets in. And, you know, do I condone what Josh Shaw did? Absolutely not. And I think we have to think as far as what the consequences are of that action. And it's without question that I, I think his career might be over, right? When we look and see what's happened to people in the past uh, um, when they've had different complications like this, especially ranging in a, into a whole nother year suspension, I don't see how we see this guy, Josh Shaw, in a uniform in the NFL again. He bet, his own, he bet against his own team. What NFL executive is going to want to sign this guy and say, I want you to represent my team, but don't bet against us. 
I think that's ridiculous, and I don't think we'll ever see him in a, in a um, you know, uniform again. And before I close this show out, you know I can't, you know, talk about anything further in NBA without talking about, you know, our two teams here in New York. Want to give a big shout out to Melo because he was Offensive Player of the Week in the Western Conference, and I know a lot of people doubted him. You know, I personally thought that he was better suited off the bench. But we see in, in a starting role, this guy's averaging over 20 points a game. And it's just so crazy how a narrative of what people can say as far as, you know, stemming from Houston and saying how he was a cancer to the team and how, you know, he's just this big distraction when really he's been anything but that, you know. So I want to give a big shout out to Carmelo. But, you know, I think an interesting thing that we have to talk about with these Nets is the fact that, you know, the Nets are 6-3 and three without Kyrie Irving. And Kyrie Irving has been injured as far as with his shoulder injury or, you know, whatever lingering injuries that he's had. And we've had Dinwiddie, who's went up from 17 to 25 points per game. And, you know, I, I really, this was something that me and my boy actually talked about earlier on in the season before Kyrie came, was the fact that, you know, what is the Brooklyn Nets offense going to look like with Kyrie? And we saw a little bit at the beginning where Kyrie's taking 30 shots a game, right? And I feel like that's entirely way too much. And that style of play is very tough to sustain. If you ha if you don't know about that, look what happened to the Knicks with Carmelo when he was, you know, shooting the ball 25 times a game. And I feel like the Nets have so much young talent around them that they don't have to depend on Kyrie Irving to shoot the ball 25 times. And that's why we're seeing that the Nets are having success with that ball movement. They've always, from what I've known since they moved to Brooklyn, been known as a blue-collar team. That boy Kenny Atkinson is such a great coach, and what he's been able to instill in them is the ball movement, is passing the rock, is playing defense, getting shot contests. And these are all things that these young players like Joe Harris, you know, Spencer Dinwiddie, do, and Karis LeVert really do well. So, you know, I wonder about what's really going to happen when Kyrie Irving comes back as fully healthy and how this team is going to be able to coexist as far as having Spencer Dinwiddie, who's getting all-star chants in the Barclays Center. They are chanting his name as an all-star because of just how well this guy is playing. And it's not just this season. He did the same thing last season, all right? So Spencer Dinwiddie is a guy who from the University of Colorado nobody had a clue about. And now he comes to the Barclays, and he's playing really well for the Nets. So I really want to see how they're going to manage as far as the minutes and if maybe they could play at the same time. Um, do you maybe potentially put Karis LeVert at the three and then have Spencer Dinwiddie at the one and maybe Kyrie at the two? I mean, these are all things that we, we're going to have to see when Kyrie comes back because – do I believe that Kyrie Irving makes this team real contenders? I think he does. I think that he makes them better than an eight seed. I think that Brooklyn could potentially be maybe even a four or five seed with a healthy Kyrie Irving. But I think with a healthy Kyrie Irving, you need to have a healthy dose of balance, okay? Kyrie Irving cannot go out there and drop 50 a game and have that team go to the playoffs. It's just not going to happen, all right? So... We're going to have to see how they manage, you know, the minutes of these other support players like Spencer Dinwiddie when Kyrie comes back because you do not want to have a Boston Celtics situation where the team chemistry is compromised just because you're paying this guy X amount of millions of dollars, right? So 
we're I mean I I really like the Knicks, but I think that the Nets have definitely taken over as far as the the cool team of New York, right? And what's cool in New York City. So, you know, that that comes with a grain of salt too. And when you think about why is it that they're so cool, is the fact that, you know, the Nets, how could I say? The Nets are are winning more games than the Knicks are and they and they have the much younger fan base. When you look as far as who are the, the, the traditional Knicks fans or who are Knicks fans, I feel like it's less and less of younger guys like me and, you know, some of my friends out there, right? I feel like when you look at see as people that are just starting to watch the game of basketball or, you know, just turned on the tube, right? It's so much more cooler to be a Nets fan because you have the all-black, you know, the all-black logo. I mean, it, it's really dope. It's sharp. You got the weathered court. You know, you have them playing Biggie Smalls in their arena when they're playing. I mean, what's not to, good to like about that, right? Then you come from the traditional side with the Knicks, and you have a little bit older fans. You have guys that are in there maybe 40s or 50s, still holding on to those Ewing years. Now, I might be a little bit older than my time as far as being 29, but I'm a diehard Knicks fan. But I feel like it's really hard to find diehard Knicks fans around my age that are still around because the Brooklyn Nets have taken over the cool factor. And the one way that the Knicks can get that back is by winning games. You can't get the younger generation of young fans that want to be, be a part of that, right? Why is the reason that we had so many Steph Curry fans or the people that were bandwagons um, Warriors fans? It's because the fact they were winning games. I can't tell you one person that has a Warriors jersey on now, now that they're in the bottom and share the same record as us. The NBA is full of bandwagon fans constantly, and the only way to get people to hop on board is to win games. And if you're the Knicks sitting at 4 and 16, who is going to want to watch that team? It is hard for me to watch an entire game of Knicks basketball when every single time I already know what the outcome is going to be. I know that the Knicks are going to blow a 15-point lead in the third quarter. I know the Knicks aren't going to play defense in five minutes left in the fourth quarter. I know that David Fisdale is not going to put the right players out there that I want to see. And if that's the case... I've been said it before, you got to fire David Fisdale, but it really represents the bigger picture as far as why the Brooklyn Nets have taken over New York City. It's because they're winning more, all right? We have the tradition in New York. We have the world's most famous arena in Madison Square Garden, but what does that matter if it doesn't mean anything? The Knicks have to start winning games to get back the fans of New York, right? I can't tell you when I'm on the subway how many Brooklyn Nets stuff that I see. Just from younger kids, from older people, from people that don't even know what basketball is. It's because the Brooklyn Nets are cool now. And the only way for the Knicks to combat at that or to bring back the prestige, the, the tradition, the more newer fans is to win games. And with the product that we're putting out consistently, it's just tough, man. It is tough to, to, to gravitate to as a true New York Knicks fan, and it's tough to try and who's going to want to pay money to go watch that team get blown out by 30? I'm tired of what I'm seeing. You know, I had my aunt here for Thanksgiving, and all that she could talk about and all, all that we could say is just how disgusted we were with the effort that the Knicks have put out. The Knicks have to stop making excuses for why they are so terrible. Go out there, get a coach. All right, David Fisdale is not the answer. 
He wasn't the answer in Memphis. He couldn't get them out of the first or second round of the playoffs, and he's not the answer here in New York, all right? And until we get a, a great coach, right, maybe Mark Jackson, I don't know, but it just can't be David Fisdale. He has allowed too much stuff to fly. You look at Mitchell Robinson out there who's supposed to be our big player, the big person who's supposed to be able to be that stuffer in the middle and to stay out of foul trouble. The guy still can't play uh, you know, solid minutes or become a starter because of the fact that he can't stay on the court. When you look at the Knicks and as far as how many leads that they've given up and how many times that they've given games away, this all stems from the growth that David Fisdale has failed to show us. He's failed to show the fan base, and that's why you got to get him out of there. And that's all I'm going to say about the Knicks. I, I'm not going to get myself worked up here. But, you know, that about does it for our show here today. My mom's laughing in the background because, you know, she, she loves to see the, the demise of my Knicks, man. I, I don't know where we went wrong with her, but... You know, shout out to the Knicks. I, I, I'm i still going to be a diehard fan, even though they got three wins on the year, two of them from Dallas. Thanks, Dallas. But, um, you know, I'm always going to be a fan. But I definitely want to shout out everybody that was on our Facebook live stream. Shout out to my boy Alvin uh, Ousley. He had a birthday recently. Shout out to you. My boy Steve Alvarez. My boy Marcus. Yo, I, I definitely got to check out one of your fights coming up soon, man. Shout out to my boy Keith Pierce, Pascal Cassi, Brian Blood. We had a lot of people here on our Facebook live stream. Definitely, if you get a chance, check out our YouTube channel at the Talk That Talk Show. We got it on Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts. We got a Facebook page. We got so many outlets for you to check out this show. It's just up to you to go and check it out, all right? Before we close out the show... I also got to give a special spot, special shout out to our sponsors, VW Liquors, located in Th uh, Wick Plaza, Edison, New Jersey. Let's go Mets! Let's go Mets! Mom had to fill in for Dad today, so thank you, <laughs> thank you for that. Um, also, going to give a shout out to Executive Bar and Restaurant, located in 30 Menu Street, Carteret, New Jersey. Got the best Indian food and drinks in the game. Prashant, I promise I'll be there to bartend soon. Don't forget about me. And then also we want to give a special shout-out to Cody Bromley at 91s.com. Best acid wash apparel in the game. And, you know, just in closing, you know, I said it at the beginning of the show about just how far I feel like my bowling game has come. And it just comes from hard work and preparation and dedication, right? Um, you know, I found something that really makes me happy. Um, I found something that I've able to you know, release that competitive edge with and to see the growth and to see the different people that you meet in the bowling community and just how awesome it is. You know, it's really just empowered me and really reinvigorated that, that competitive spirit within me, right? And, you know, that's translated to so many other, you know, realms in my life, right? I mean, you talk about continuing to push through and I can't tell you how, you know, the life lessons that I've learned from missing 10 pins and throwing a perfect shot and going right through the head and splitting. So, you know, when you translate those same things that you learn from games into your, your, your personal life, that's what makes us humans. And that's what, you know, creates that self-reflection. Right. And for me, 
you know, I'm just really thankful for all the people in the bowling community that continue to give me feedback and then continue to show me, you know, the, the love that I that continues to have me go to the bowling alley each week. I mean, I mean, who would have thought I'd have, you know, three bowling balls and be bowling four or five, six nights a week, you know? And, you know, that just shows the growth in just myself, but also in terms of the competitiveness and just how fun that bowling can really take me and how it can take you as well, too. So, you know, whatever you are listening out there, Find something to get your competitive spirit going and just run with it, man. Because let me tell you, there's nothing better than winning, right? <laughs> so that's my, that's all for my show today. This is Barry Holmes. This is the Talk That Talk show. I'm signing off. Please t- stay tuned for our you know further episodes. Like us on our Facebook page. Check us out on our YouTube channel, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, you name it. We got it for you, all right? So I'm going to close out. I know you want to watch your Monday Night Football. My name is Barry Holmes. This is the Talk That Talk show. Every week you'll have a new episode, and I'm out of here.